Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 50, that's 5-0 of the Print Design Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thanks so much for stopping by here for the big 5-0. Before I introduce today's guest, I first wanted to say thank you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your listens. Thank you for your comments on Instagram. Thank you for the reviews from episode one all the way up to episode 50, wherever you came into the game. Thank you. Thank you for the support and the encouragement and, you know, even pointing out some great work that I might not have come across. Um, so thank you. Just, I really appreciate the support. I love print. I love having these conversations. I love hearing how other talented creatives are using print to just put amazing tangible design out in the world for all these businesses and stuff that they're creating it for and even some creating it for themselves. So thank you. And if you haven't had a chance to leave a review yet, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Just take a quick second, um, give a thumbs up and a review for the podcast over there. Um, I'd really appreciate it. It just helps more people find this show and uh, more people learning about print. I love it. So thank you so much. And uh, let's go. We got another 50, 100, 50, 100 more to go. Just lots. I'm just going to keep going, okay? So today on the show, my guest is Rob Mucho from Mucho Design. Now, Rob is a very talented designer and creative, and I came across him in that communication arts magazine that I've talked about on the last couple of uh, episodes. He did an incredible annual report print um, that I just really wanted to dive into and hear the story behind and get more um, you know, information about and to what went into the details and behind the planning of this thing and, um, and how it was brought to life in print. Also, though, in this episode, Rob has a fantastic story about a rejection letter that he had received um, back in the day, you could kind of say, um, from Walt Disney. So, uh, and, and how that rejection letter came full circle. Um, so really cool story there. We talk uh, all kinds of other print stuff, as well as Rob's sort of creative journey to this spot where he's at right now. So ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to stop talking now. Let's get to the goods. My guest, Mr. Rob Mucho. Hit the music. Welcome to the Print Design Podcast, the show where we talk about all things print and packaging. We go behind the scenes with designers and talk about the print projects they designed that really rocked their world. From file prep to holding the finished product in their hand and all the key decisions in between. So let's talk ink on paper. Rob, welcome to the Print Design Podcast. How are you, sir? Good. Thank you for having me. Awesome. No, super glad to have you. Um, I, I had mentioned that um, in an email when I first had reached out that I was on vacation and I, uh, I drive a Tesla, so we were supercharging near this Chapters Indigo. And we went inside and um, just having a look through the magazines. I always love the magazine rack when I go. I just like to see, you know, who's using different papers and different size formats, different finishing, and just to kind of see who's got what going on. Yeah. And 
this, uh, the latest communication arts annual really stood out to me, really jumped out to me. And um, so I picked it up, brought it home, and I'm flipping through this thing. And there's so many great print projects, um, one of them being this annual report we're going to talk about today. And I just had to reach out um, to see if you were open to being on the show to chat about this. So thank you so much. Of course. So it's a good annual. We're happy they picked it up as well. Yeah, I bet. That's really cool. Um, so I want to kick this off by asking what I say is the toughest question first. And tell us a little bit about yourself and Mucho. Okay. Uh, I think I had a bit of a thought about this. I'll just tell you about my career, and that's probably um, tells you more about Mucho. So I studied in England, as you can tell. I'm not from around these parts. Mm-hmm. So um, in Bath in the UK. And I started working when I graduated with a company called Mitten Williams in Bath. Um, then I, I, everyone tends to go to London in the UK. They want to work in the big city. So he asked me very nicely where I wanted to go. And Pentagram was the only company in the world I'd always wanted to work at. Uh-huh. Because that he had been at Pentagram uh, years previous with John Rushworth, one of the partners, he put in a good word for me. And um, I went up there, interviewed, and luckily managed to get a, a position at um, Pentagram. It wasn't John Rushworth who interviewed me. It was another guy called John Dowling, um, who became a great friend. A gr- he's a fantastic designer. And um, we ended up forming a studio together later on. We didn't realize that. There was also Fernando Gutierrez there in Pentagram fantastic partner and he had two assistants or designers called Pablo and Mark now after they left um, they went and formed Mucho in Barcelona when they left Pentagram I left uh, well I got transferred to Pentagram San Francisco spent many years in San Francisco Pentagram and then I went down to Apple to work um, when Steve Jobs was there which is a really amazing experience but I always wanted my own business. So after I left, I spoke to John Dowling and said, John Dowling was, was still in London. And I said, why don't we form this company called Dowling Duncan? Um, he was in London. I was in San Francisco. And it was one of the first kind of new companies that was working with each other in different locations. Obviously, there was Pentagram and there were Base and there were a few others. But for, for a small studio, we thought, well, let's just do that. That happened for a while. And then we got back in touch with Mark and Pablo at Bucho, and then we all decided, myself and John Dowling, to, to join Mucho. So there was, we, we just thought, well, we're all in separate places. We love each other's work. We've done this with Dowling Duncan. Why don't we do it with Mucho as well? Mm-hmm. Mucho had a much bigger name than Dowling Duncan did. And the nice thing about Mucho is it means many or more in Spanish. So the fact that there's many or more partners or offices, it's funny how the name has come to mean more now than it originally did when Mark and Pablo created it, the name Mucho. So that's how that happened. And that was um, eight years ago, I think. And we've been, we've had partners come and partners leave that John Dowling left to um, uh, carry on teaching. He's a really good teacher and educator in the UK. So he was Uh really keen to do that. And then we added uh, Dom Hofstede in Australia in a Melbourne office uh, recently. Um, and, that, and then that's that. So we just um, carry on trying to do the best work in the world and make a bit of money whilst we do it. <laughs> make a bit of money while we do it. That's always yeah. the plan. It's always exactly. the intention, isn't it? Try and, try and pay for the, for the bread on the table. <laughs> exactly. That's cool. I, I like that. Now, the, the, the title partner, 
I've yeah. always wondered this in an, in an agency where you've got four or five, six different partners. What what does that mean? That's a good question. The way we set it up as a partner, it means that essentially you kind you own the business and it's up to you to bring in um, a certain amount of work. I'm the only partner in San Francisco, so it's a bit different for me because I am the partner, so I have to bring in all the work on my own. Okay. And the way we work with Mucho is we're, we're still financially and legally separate. So my work is mine, but if I need to um, bring in other offices, I, work, I do. So we just rebranded Visa globally, which was one of the biggest projects I've ever done in wow. my life. And but I couldn't do that on my own. I needed the help of the Barcelona office, which is much larger than me, plus the Australia office. So we could grow. You know, now I don't have to. I don't have an overhead of that many people. But when a company comes, we can grow and expand and bring professionals in, and bring in our team from these offices. Um, but in Barcelona, there's three partners, and each of those have their own team. And each partner is responsible to bring in a certain amount of work and make a target as well, a target um, kind of uh, amount of money. Mm. And I'm not sure how they do it. It's all up to individual offices, how they split the profits, whether it's absolutely evenly or it's based on who's brought in the most work. I'm not sure. Mm. But through trial and error over the, and I'm sure a few arguments, they've got it sorted. So um, that's what it means to be a, a partner of Mucho. Um, Got it. So it's it's interesting that you're on even a partner that is, you know, focused on creative to still have to to bring in work, which is more sales side of things in a sense, right? Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. But the way what we like about it is the partner is still on all the projects. So rather mm -hmm. than rather than one partner having a team of twenty or thirty people, yeah, each partner has a team of maybe a project manager and three to eight designers under them which means that partner can be on every project and can oversee every project is in every meeting with a client from the start to the finish to make sure that the creativity um you know doesn't doesn't go down i mean once it gets too many projects then the, and it's all going out and we haven't there's no chance of me reviewing it or another partner reviewing it that's i think when things start to go away and the yeah. work just isn't as good now it's not it's not a formula that hasn't been done before. It's really the pentagram formula. We all met a pentagram. Most of us, sorry, not all of the partners, but the majority of the partners met a pentagram. We learned the system. We saw how successful it was. We kind of looked up to the partners we worked at. So oh. with Mucho, we kind of tried to emulate that, um, not exactly that model, slightly different, but a model which we've seen that's worked over 50 years for them. So hopefully it will work for us too. <laughs> Definitely. So from hearing that story, your experiences in design and from different locations to different companies and different um, levels of, of position and seniority, you've got um, a wide, vast experience in the design field. So um, I'm curious to see what you're going to say to these next two questions here. Um, but first up, what is your earliest memory of print or packaging, Rob? Something from your maybe your childhood, maybe your teens? Yeah, I, there's a few things from my childhood. In my childhood, I would always, my mum and dad obviously grew up in the 60s, so they were listening mm -hmm. to the Beach Boys, Beatles, Rolling Stones, and things like that. ABBA was massive. Music was big, and I used to sit in my room and listen to 
listen to songs and then almost create an album cover for each of those songs but in a oh, cartoon, cool. in a cartoon style because i never wanted i always wanted to be an animator and work for walt disney when i was a kid so um that was my dream at that point and but I, what i didn't realize is what i was doing is really doing graphic design by listening to a song and then creating an album cover piece of art but in a cartoon style, obviously. And I used to go mm. downstairs and show my mum and dad, and they'd obviously say how great it was. I think I've got a couple of them at home, and now when I look at them, I was like, they, these are the worst things I would... <laughs> if my kid showed me that, I would have given them a slap around the head and said, get upstairs, do it better. But um, Keep working. <laughs> exactly, keep working, keep trying. But, uh, yeah, that's that That was my earliest. Um, and it was there's an interesting story around that is because I sent all my cartoons to Walt Disney in the 80s, um, sent them all off, and was really excited. But all I was doing is copying Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck. Oh. And I got them back from from L.A. And it was in this envelope and with Mickey Mouse label. on. I thought, this is amazing. It's like I'm going to get offered a job or whatever. And it was a lovely letter. Say it was a lovely letter. It's my first rejection letter from Walt Disney. It said, thank you, Chris, thank you so much. Obviously, we get so many of these and so many people sending them. Um, the idea is not to copy. It's to come up with inspiration and, I, and your own ideas, which was quite, quite um, formal. And yeah. it wasn't signed. And it just had my – it was obviously a letter that they'd already pre-typed for all of these people. And they just typed like a, a thanks, just a dear Rob in another ink i was really disappointed but at that time ron miller was the ceo of um of walt disney and then i happened to work with the walt disney family museum here in san francisco and i met um ron miller because he was married he was married to diane uh, disney miller um, walt disney's daughter at the time and i took this letter along that he hadn't signed um, <laughs> to the meeting and i was a bit cheeky and i say ron i told him the story i was really disappointed that you didn't sign this as a ceo and he laughed and he thought it was and everyone and all his grandchildren were in the room they thought it was really charming so he signed the letter for me and i have it framed in the studio and i just think of that as my it was my first rejection letter and i managed to make my way all the way back to kind of the start <laughs> Of, of what I wanted to do in the beginning. What a fantastic story. So he signed years later, you had to sign it. The first thing he said to me is, you're going to sell this on eBay, aren't you? And I said, I'm never selling this. I'm framing it. It's yeah. like a prized possession. I kept it all this time, and now I managed to get it signed. <laughs> That's, I love that. <laughs> what a cool experience that was. You know, at the time, obviously heartbreaking and yeah. disappointing but you know years later looking back on it had it not gone that way yeah you wouldn't have had the experience that you had in that, now in I read that the letter i realized the letter i should have taken it to heart what it was saying yeah. i went oh, oh really they just sent me what they send everyone and carried on <laughs> but but it got you enough to keep it exactly awesome um, what about recently, Rob? Have you had any recent interactions with print or packaging or direct mail or anything like that that, that surprised you that you really enjoyed? Well, to be honest, this annual report is always one that we really enjoy. We've done this now for seven years with the University of California, and it's very rare that we get to do print anymore because everything is much, is online. Um, and we love, we love print. We love packaging as well. You get a chance mm -hmm. to use... You get a chance to use some lovely papers as, as yeah. behind me and print techniques and foils or 
or, or really really push push the design so that's something we always want to we always try and encourage to companies still to do business cards as well even though people don't um, necessarily need business cards anymore people don't interact in the same way with the pandemic we're not even meeting people it's all on zoom but um, uh -huh. they always say that if you can a lovely business card is your it, it's your it's, uh, you're gonna get one chance to make a first impression and give somebody a card and the, the thickness of the card the print quality of that how it smells how it feels mm -hmm. um, can say so much about you as a person and your company much yeah. more than maybe even just going to the website you know because you keep those things I always think the longer somebody is going to keep a business card with them before they throw it in the waste the better like good packaging you know you think of Apple packaging too yeah. I've got People just don't want to throw the boxes out because they're too beautiful to keep. And then when you move house, you go, oh, I've got to throw all these boxes out that I've kept from Apple. <laughs> but it's, it's a clever way of advertising, you know. It's a clever way of it's still on your shelf. That Apple logo is still in your home, you know. Mm -hmm. Subliminal kind of uh, advertising. Oh, I need yeah. another iPhone. <laughs> I yeah, another iPhone box to add to my it, other iPhone boxes. Exactly. I got to get the latest one. I have a collection going. Exactly. So we love, <laughs> love print. We try and push push it as much as we can um, within a within a new um, identity. Yeah, it's interesting you say that about business cards. You know, essentially, what a business card is is the first brand touch point. Whether that's your company brand or your personal brand, like that's the first touch point of a potential customer, a potential partner, a potential whatever that is, and. You know, we've all been to those networking events where somebody had printed their business cards at home and cut them out with scissors before they came to the thing and handed over to you, and it's, it, it leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah, exactly. But we've all held those really nice double-thick cotton letterpress cards with edge painting, and, you know, you spend – you're almost not even listening to the person. You're too busy checking out the card and feeling the card. It also says something about you as a designer. It says that you care about every your attention to detail is everything. You've cared about the weight of the paper, the how it how it feels in your hand, the quality, the smell, the touch, the, as you said, the edge painting. Maybe not so so much because all of these events of we're not meeting in person anymore. But it's coming back and it will be important again. Um, you know, website websites during the pandemic have become so much more important than they were or you know social events doing launches online etc yeah but um there's there's a still opportunity for both and i think um, a good designer should care about digital and print to the same level in terms of attention to detail you know there is and i think what what this past couple of years has led to you know with everybody all of a sudden on Zoom and on their computer more during the day, um, there's almost this, this digital fatigue where really unique packaging, direct mail, print pieces, things that arrive in your mailbox um, or you see on a store shelf are become increasingly more enjoyable mm -hmm. because it's a tangible, tactile experience. It's something exactly. that's not on a screen with the same feel no matter where you scroll. It's something unique and different. There's a bit of nostalgia attached to it as well when you get something. Mm -hmm. It's a bit of the past that's coming back. We're trying. We always try to do that with clients. We say, let's send something through the mail, but let's make it beautiful. We did that yes. for a company called Dean, and we created these set of postcards that went for a. It was it was to promote actually an online um, launch, an online virtual event 
Um, but we sent print through the mail and it came in this beautiful box and they were a set of postcards. And when you held your phone up, we used, uh, is, it, is it VR AI? So you could, um, it animated on your phone. Yes, augmented reality. Augmented reality, sorry, that's the one. And then, um, so we're using print and technology together in a clever way. So yes. always thinking about using modern technology, but how can print be a part of it? So that's that's the future. That's the that's the best way to, to use those things in tandem to take advantage of the technology, but also create a unique experience that's exciting enough that they want to look at that technology or that website or whatever that is. Exactly. And yeah. you only usually usually people only get bills through the mail or junk mail. <laughs> exactly. Take an unwrap. It's the unboxing experiences. People still love it. People still love that. Um, but people still love magazines on their coffee yes. tables or the coffee table book just to flick through. It's, uh -huh. As you said, you get you get very fatigued looking at a screen all day and then going home and looking at just taking your eyes off and feeling print or flicking through a magazine is a very different experience or reading a newspaper. Um, things have changed, but I, I, I think things will come around again and it will, those kind of print will become a very important part of the future. I agree. Um, I want to kick this back in time a little bit here and ask you about your the very first print project you were ever a part of. What was that? Can you tell us about that, Rob? Yeah, it was. I mentioned Mitt and Williams when I graduated in Bath. Um, one of the big projects, and it was my responsibility to work on with with Bob Mitten, obviously, and the rest of the team was rebranding Clark Shoes. So Clark's Shoes was is based in Somerset in the UK, Bath uh -huh. being very close to them. And um, I had an opportunity coming straight out of college to work with a, one of the world's, or a large brand in the world. And part of that was a, um, I think a quarterly printed magazine from Clark's uh -huh. Shoes that went to all of the people that worked at Clark's talking about the new shoes and what was going on in the company. Also part of that was to look at all of their shoe care products um, in terms of polishes and um, things to do with shoes like shoehorn packaging and yeah. brushes, etc., and sprays and all the things you need for shoes. And that was great as well because we could, we had a, we had opportunities to look at finishes of cans and as well as boxes, as well as the shoe boxes and the carrier bags and the printed uh, magazine, as I said. So... That was my first experience, I think, in the real world um, w with print. Wow! So that's like that's like you basically got a taste of packaging, but also like you know your traditional offset print in this publication. Absolutely, yeah. I would go and do the photo shoots, and I realised that it was very fast turnaround. It was hard to keep up because it seemed like every time we finished one of these magazines, it was time to start the other one. <laughs> yes. I realized then I'm probably not a very good editorial designer. I could never work for a magazine or a newspaper because the pace that you have to work with and making those decisions so quickly, mm. that wasn't my forte. Um, but I was much better at the, I think, at the packaging and at logos and identities and seeing how a whole brand system and a brand identity could, could, could be consistent and beautiful across every touch point. Yeah. Uh, just seeing sort of the symmetry between um, all of those touch points as well. Exactly. Um, 
Have you ever been a part of a print project that did not turn out as you'd hoped, um, went sideways, didn't go well? I don't think so. I think um, there's always been parts of print projects that don't go well. Uh-huh. Even one recently for the UC annual report, um, not the one that you're talking about, the next one we've just done. Um, we printed it and there was a section inside that was printed on, part of it was printed on uncoated paper and there was a section in, on inside that was printed on coated paper. We wanted to uh-huh. feel like a little mini section within. and many of them got two or three of those sections bound into them by mistake or there was a section and for some reason it caused complications with the printer in terms of um you know how it's going to be bound many times as well i'm always on press at these um to check it on press Uh not so much really in this in the last few years because of the pandemic but i'm never there when they when it gets to the bindery i trust that's going to go fine yeah so that's one that we had to just look through apologize to the client um have the printer reprint the pr- printer was apologetic i've worked with them for so many years it was all fine that's probably the biggest thing i've ever had in print there's always things i look at after i've designed it and gone well we should have done that well, oops um there's a typo i hope that the client doesn't notice (laughs) or a capitalization when there shouldn't be or something we just go well you know it could have been better so let's just learn and and design it better next time but Mm -hmm. i think that was probably the biggest hiccup in print that i've had in my time yeah yeah that's i i've seen those things happen as well where it gets to the finishing you've done the press check and it visually looks great um well, yeah, there's there's things that it's manufacturing. There's things that could go could go wrong at any stage. And the horrible thing about it is, it's much more expensive and harder to change than a mistake on a website, where you can just uh-huh. go go in the back end, put it back in again, and you're up and you're done. With print, you've got to reprint it all, and you've got to explain to the client that you know it was a mistake, and who's going to pay for it because it's an yeah. expensive mistake. So, yeah. yes, making sure everything gets checked. Um, and before it goes off to print, so important. But things can, things happen. Yeah, yeah, things happen. And that's where I always say to designers, you know, it's important that you have a great relationship with your printer because when things do happen, just you, you don't want a printer that's going to point fingers or, or walk away. You, you just want to have that relationship to the point where you just come together and solve the problem. Exactly. Yeah, and that takes years. You know, I've been working with this printer for 15 18 years, I think, since I moved to the States. And so we're friends as well as, um, so he loves the work we do. He knew where the mistake happened, you know, and I always offer, I say, look, we can help. We can, you know, go 50-50 on this. If he would say, no, 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 we've got it, you know. Um, so you're absolutely right. Having a great relationship with a printer. If we if we take this to a brand new printer and that had happened, then then again, as you, you're right, it would have been a much bigger mess. There would have been yeah. things pointing. It would have been hard, a hard thing to do. And that's the same with all of our relationships we have with Mucho. We use, once you have a photographer you love or a copywriter you love or a printer you love or somebody that you made a good relationship with, you can trust them yeah. and you know what you're going to get. It's not that everything feels or looks the same. You just have this connection with them and everything goes, runs a lot smoother and you don't, you don't have to wake up in the middle of the night panicking because you've forgotten to tell the printer something or somebody something because they've already got it. They've already fixed it. So. Yeah, they've got the confidence in that uh, they'll, they'll get that. We've, we've been through that before. Exactly. 
Awesome. Um, so now I thought it would be a great time to just sort of do a deep dive into the project that we're here to discuss. And I would love, um, I'll pull up a, an image of it here, but I'd love for you to sort of just start from that like 5,000 foot view and what was the, the message behind this? What did you, what were you, what was the story that we were crafting with this particular piece? So Rob, can you introduce this piece? Yeah, absolutely. So every year we do the um, annual report for the University of California Office of the, I'll have to read the actual title. It's the longest title they have, the Office of the Regents of, it's basically the officer, the chief financial officer who looks after all of the money. Um, mm -hmm that is invested in through through retirement um, funds etc and bonds so this was actually done during the pandemic and it was we came up with the my copywriter Laura Scholes came up with the line made for this moment because the whole the UC had been made for this moment it, it had invested money but it had been aware that sooner or later there was going to become a collapse something's going to collapse in the economy in the stock mm -hmm. market is going to come down they never foresaw that obviously nobody's foresaw the pandemic but the pandemic was the same thing it caused um uh, so many problems monetary problems for the uc how do they get through this how do they survive um in fact they ended up becoming uh, making more money investing more mo not investing more money but more profit came out of the money they invested during this year than any year they've ever been doing it because mm -hmm. they, knew, they knew how to prepare themselves. They kept things simple. Um, Jagdeep Bakar, who is, who is the chief uh, financial officer, just had stripped away his team, had made things simple, had put almost um, a bulletproof plan in place. So how do we make this particular annual report not be over the top, not be ostentatious, but still feel about the moment. Mm -hmm. It was great. It was only one color, black and white, or two colors, black, white, gray, etc. Within uh, the and then because of the there wasn't an annual meeting going on, um, it was all remote this time, and um, that got moved around. It ended up taking us about six months. It just went on and on and on. I think this got delivered by Santa Claus. Um, for Christmas, it should have been out in October. Yeah. What that did allow us to do, and allow one of my designers, uh, Liam uh, Bury, to do, is craft it. Is really spend a lot of time on each page, crafting it, and trying to look at a clever idea and trying to craft that page to really tell the story of those pages using large typography, using different layouts, just using black and white. Uh -huh. And then he came up with the idea of. Um, making an envelope that was all of um, the news, some of the news items that had gone on during the pandemic from both sides, from the, like the left and the right. So it was uh, non-biased news that was on there because otherwise we'd you know, get in trouble. Um, and then putting that in, a, in this kind of crazy envelope design. Um, so that's how the envelope came around with that, using that kind of nice nice carton paper the brown paper and just printing black across the top and then yeah. and then just using black and white throughout the uh the report so i i love the idea of being of, of restricting <clears throat> your your color palette and I, this has come up a couple of times on the show recently even where some of the most 
creative design and print design can come from not allowing yourself full color and any color and all photos, but restricting it down to, no, no, no. What can we do with just black? Or what can we do with just one or two colors and working within that, um, that constraint? Absolutely. Well, we believe Amucho especially, and because of our background at Pentagram, you know, we looked up to Alan Fletcher and Bob Gill as um, it's all ideas. It's graphic design, the best graphic design in the world as far as I'm concerned, is a great idea that has been beautifully crafted. Now, I think Paul Rand said this as well. It was, um, you, can have a, you can have a great idea, but if it's not beautifully crafted, it looks like crap, and you can make something look really nice, but there's no great idea behind it. Mm-hmm. But r- the real design to me is when you combine the both. And I remember I was going to mention them as a, when I was growing up as a kid. Um, CDT in the UK, Carol Dempsey and Thurkle were a big agency that I really admired because WH Smith's was this stationary company and they used to do all the packaging for um, WH Smith's. And I remember getting this compass and pencil set and seeing this big type cropped off, probably Helvetica, and falling in love with how simple it was, but how they had these clever ideas through it. And I think... I think they epitomized that that kind of thinking, CDT, that it was always an idea beautifully crafted. They did the English National Opera logo, which I'm sure you know, remember, the E and the N and then the O. So the O representing an opera mouth that's open. It was just beautifully crafted with different um, weights uh, of the typeface. But then the posters and all the collateral really were beautiful photography and the craft came in, but there was still that clever idea behind the logo. So I think when we're designing these as well, we look at every spread as an opportunity to to take the story. If you want to flick through a few, I can like, not the big numbers, but there's some nice stories in here. Mm-hmm. That, so I first wanted to sort of point out the layout of this contents page, because I think this um, format matches up with something later on in here as well. <clears throat> the uh, the pillars section like it just sort of seems visually similar or visually aligned yeah so contents looks great and super bold in contrast with the just black and white um, and this particular photo really stood out to me as soon as you had mentioned that you had restricted the palette to, to just basically black and gray yeah, and it's what's the nice idea here is it's talking about a global pandemic, but this is a close-up of a Petri dish and viruses being, you know, um, in the lab, created in the lab. So there's that clever idea of is this a planet or is this talking about science? So uh, <laughs> and in black and white, you just can't tell. So it's it was a lo- lovely little solution for this story. Yeah. And so, yeah, speak to us through some of these, some of the Q&A and some of the the editorial portions of this and then we'll get into some of this um this beautiful typographic stuff yeah we wanted to we used a matt willie typeface uh matt willie's obviously at pentagram now brilliant typographer brilliant designer i love his type and how bold and condensed etc it is and then combining that with a serif typeface at the same time cutting out the images here in black and white but having the type run up the side and then really contrasting with these Q&A dividers with the very sans serif, if you go down the very sans serif yeah. Q and the, and the Saban and the Baskerville ampersands that really produce these beautiful, lovely kind of posters for the, for the spreads. Um, 
no idea here apart from working with the beauty of typography and a big Q ampersand and an A. And they all changed with different ampersands just for just our love of typography. The yeah. great thing working with the UC, and it's an unusual client, is that we've been working with them for seven years. And the first time I worked with Jack Deep, he said to me, I want I've hired you because you do work that I can't do. You're creative. I want to do the most creative annual report that any university has ever has ever produced. Yeah. Thought, wow, this this is too good to be true. So the first I, the first solution we the first report thing we came back with him, one of the second reports actually was much smaller and it was flipped over the book and he loved it and we used metallics and all this. And every year he's been a champion of design. In fact, he pushes us further than we even push ourselves. He'll say, Rob, let's push this. This, this, I don't, the cover's not quite right yet. You can do better than this. And I know we can do better than that, but it's great having that, you know, it's always great having a client that will push us and it, and mm -hmm. love design, but also is respectful of us as designers and, it many times he'll just say, I don't know, I just love it, Rob. And the team is saying, his team might be saying, oh, but I don't know. And he'll just say, no, Rob's a designer. He knows what he's talking about. I believe in him. I trust him. Um, love it. Get on with it. Do it. Mm -hmm. which, is, which is what allows us to do these UC reports every year. And be. we look forward to them. It's one of our favorite um, times of the year. You know, annual reports are very stressful because all the numbers come in right at the last minute and there's many, many things. And you cram them all in. Exactly. But, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but is it fairly rare to have a customer or a client to, to give you that sort of freedom and to, and, to, and to push you more? We can go for more. Let's go further with this. I think so. Although we have many clients, not many clients like that, Jagdeep's very different, but if we're not, if the client's not pushing us, it's up to us to push the client, and then yeah. it can, then the tension can get a bit um, bad sometimes because I want to push further than the client really understand, really wants to go, or the client has absolutely no understanding of design whatsoever. So then we have to go through the process of almost educating them about the value of design and what it can bring to the table and how they need to appreciate mm -hmm. design. And it gets very tiring and very one way and uh, they just don't get it. So, yeah, I think this is, it's very, very rare to get somebody like Jack Deep um, and somebody like the University of California, even the, it's a big establishment, the University of California. So to be brave enough to put this out for something as big as them, yeah. um, it, that that's very rare. I love that. And so as I'm flicking through some of the pages of the of these pieces, each page just has this beautiful symmetry between sort of refined, like easy to read type, because it is a piece that is meant to be read. It needs to be legible and, and clean, matched with these bold, big fonts or typefaces or or iconography or something like that on each um, each page just creates this beautiful contrast and symmetry. Yeah, and each page has an idea. For example, the big arrow, it's talking about the next wave. So the next, how do we illustrate next without an image? Oh, let's use a big, beautiful um, arrow as a graphic. I think these were the initials, the O and the H of the person that was being interviewed um, at the time. So that that was the idea there. The 2020 um, was just... Um, not so much that one made for this moment 2020 how do we just create this 
this different symmetry, asymmetry right. across the spread, do something a bit different. I think the next one was a noble cause. So talking about all the noble peace, no, noble prize winners um, from the university. So just using the medal as the O of the typeface and just seeing how that can become an element to just trying to, trying to almost trying to create a different um, graphic language on each on each page a surprise a pacing so that when you're turning the page it's like and there's a lot of type on one page and not much type on the other or there's big graphics on one page or it's not there's smaller ampersands uh, sorry smaller exclamation marks on one page etc so whatever we can do to change up the pacing and make it interesting because you want people to read this you know the tech yeah. it's all based on a very tight grid it's all type size, leading, it's all thought about, etc. So but enjoy the enjoy the process of reading an annual report. Um, as opposed to just seeing many numbers, lots of numbers. I like the way that you said that, the pacing of it, because there's pages, you're right, where um, you know, so let's pull this one up here and I can I'll, I'll be sharing a lot of these images on Instagram so that people listening to this episode can can sort of flip through these images as we're talking. Mm-hmm. But the page here with risk, you, like you could say, like, there's there's a good amount of content on this page. But you look back to that noble page, like you guys aren't afraid of, of white space. You're not afraid to leave things open. But you're you're right in saying what it does is it creates this pacing of of wanting to digest it all and read it all and move through it um, without going, oh, my gosh, there's so much on this. Like, you kind of want to see what's next. Exactly. You want to see, you know, it's like watching, it's like binge watching an episode. It leaves you with that cliffhanger and you've got to put, you've got to watch the next one and the next one. You stayed up all night. If you can make that kind of surprise and anticipation in, in a printed piece as well so it doesn't just feel like the same grid and everything looks the same from page to page yeah. you enjoy that uh you enjoy reading and you enjoy turning the page um we try try and do that as much as we can so i've just sort of flipped to a, a point in here where it looks like we're starting to introduce some off-white paper is that is that the paper no, unfortunately, we tried to do the off-white paper. We couldn't get it in time. So actually, yeah, I lied when I said this was a one-color job. There's an there's a, <laughs> there's a tint of yellow. There's actually it's Pantone, isn't it? So this is a Pantone, um, very very light yellow. So yeah. it's it's cool because you look at the edge of the book and you can see the numbers feel like they're on yet slightly yellow paper, and the and the front section is on white. Um, so this is the start of a new section and just create still using black and white and big typography mm-hmm. to tell the story of the numbers pages. That's cool. So you had mentioned so you said you couldn't get the off-white paper in time. Did you guys run into some some logistical challenges in sourcing the materials you wanted to use? We did, especially during the pandemic and especially yeah. this latest one that we've just produced. It's been taking uh-huh. shipments obviously have been held up. Um in ports etc yeah but it, it seems like paper production was being held up as well so yeah in the last couple of years we've had some issues with we like to use really great papers to yeah. gf smith is one of my my favorite paper places but that's in the uk i think they have a factory in la now but not all of the paper is stored in la etc so we'd have we have to ship papers from europe if i really want they they still do the best um colored paper i think nina here do a nice set of colors too um, yeah mohawk is one of the more mohawk, um, 
Your mohawk. Actually, this is printed on mohawk. Mohawk Superfine eggshell. Yeah. So, because it's digitally printed as well, the nice thing about eggshell is it allows the ink to set in, so it feels like it's offset. You've still got that slight tooth to it. I always hate digital things when they're printed on a coated paper because it just feels cheap, and it you can almost You're right. you, you you see the banding with with um, eggshell. You can you, it, it's a lot easier to disguise if there's any banding because it it sinks in and it also feels beautiful too. The eggshell. Yeah, just that tooth in the hand. It feels really, it feels really nice. It feels really good. Yeah, um, yeah the, the logistics right now of getting paper, I'm helping customers four or five months out um, to source paper right now. Otherwise, I don't know if I'll be able to get them paper. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just a, a wild time right now. Definitely. Um, so talk to me a little bit about... <clears throat> pardon me, the sort of proofing and um, press checking process for this piece. Um, was it with a local printer and what parts of that did you participate in and, and what was that experience like? Yeah, we always use Primary Colour, who are based in LA. As I wow. said, this is a printer I've used for 18 years. Fantastic, fantastic guy, Tim Hamilton. And with the great thing about, we only print uh, about 500. It was a thousand copies. We only print 500 of these each year now is we do it digitally. So the proof is an actual final piece. It's digitally printed on the, the beauty of digital. Exactly. And it's bound and it feels like it's finished, which is great because we can then send one of those to the client for sign off. We don't have to go on press or anything like that. Um, so it works really well. We proof it. Obviously, it all goes through a proofreader and then wow. They send, we send it to the printer, they send back a PDF for us to check and the client to check one final time. Then they send out two proofs and that goes to us and the client. We mark all those up for color or for anything that we've missed, send it back down to them, courier it down to them, and then they send us up one final proof. Um, again, digitally, completely finished, bound as a book. It looks perfect, looks how it's gonna look. Um, and it's been very easy working that way. Um, it's amazing. I hated uh, digital printing at one point in my career, but now it's advanced so much and the papers that you can print on are much better that uh, it, it sometimes looks even better than um, uh, offset light. Yeah, yeah, it can, depending on the technology you're using and, and yeah. what, uh, you know, what you're trying to produce. Um, yeah, digital printing has a, has a place 100%. Was there anything during the proofing process on this that you went from when you received, you know, uh, one of the proofs, the assembled proofs, where you looked at a certain spread and you're like, oh, this didn't quite go the way we wanted and you needed to make a change? Can you talk me through how the proof helped you caught that? Yeah. I mean, some of those lighter pages you look at, which you've got a light gray and there's reversed out white type a couple of pages up, I think. Um, this one, for example. Yeah. The light gray behind wasn't dark enough. It was too light, and so you couldn't see the, the S and the G. But yeah. if it got too dark, then you wouldn't be able to read the text. So that took a, some of those things took a couple of rounds, and sometimes we just do page by page yeah. to, to quickly make those fixes. Some of the really rich blacks as well, um, we wanted them slightly darker or heavier. So some of those, I think, became um, – I think they're always made up of CMYK anyway. It's not just black. It's, it's – uh, CMYK black, four color black. But mm -hmm. then also when you reverse type out of that, it fills in a lot 
yes. easier because you've got CMYK going down, especially on the serif type. So, yeah, the proof, that was the great thing. We could spot those things in the proof, in the final kind of print, and just mark it up and send it back to the printer and um, make the changes. Again, you know, you've got a print, you have a printer that you, you work with for years, you understand. Mm -hmm. Um, they completely understand all your comments, and they know they know they're going to get the comments. They've already seen it after it's come off the press. So. <laughs> Perfect. So then, the moment that you get these delivered to your office, you know, you've you've done the design, you've done the proofing, it's gone through production. The moment you get these back in your office, and you're about to open the box and look at one. Is that is that an exciting moment? Is that a scary moment for you? Like, talk no, me through yeah. the emotions of the moment. I always love it. I love getting printed pieces back. I love seeing it in. That's the nice thing about print is it's tangible. It's like an yeah. artifact. You can hold it. It's got weight. It feels it's like a builder. If you build a wall, you know when you're finished, you can stand back and you go, that's a good wall. <laughs> you feel like you've done something. <laughs> I always find maybe with digital is it feels doesn't feel as doesn't feel as much of an achievement when I look at a website or something because I feel like it will just change in a it's all going to change in a year or a few, and then it's going to go away and nobody's going to remember it. But these things yeah. are going to be sitting around for a while. Um, um, and the smell, you know, especially if it's litho, not, not so much digital, but the smell yeah. of the print on the paper, the opening and flicking through it. And you can just, there's so much work that goes into it. And then you, it just looks so inevitable at the end of the day and just yeah. perfect at the end of the day. Yeah. I, still get a buzz out of receiving them or yeah. I, think, I think any any designer does that's worked that works on these kind of things it's what keeps yeah. us getting up in the morning i think yeah exactly and i like how you mentioned the smell because that's one of the first things that that i do when i get a finished piece is you just you, you get right in there get right in there with your nose to just smell it and and you know mohawk has like just this beautiful clean smell to the paper and it just creates this, you know, something that's tangible and visual, but you're starting to interact with your with your sense of smell as well. So it's, it's a unique spot. It's crazy. People must think we're weirdos, designers, going around smelling paper. They think we're weird until they try it. <laughs> <laughs> we are, we're obsessed with things, and that's what makes us those kind yeah. of designers, I guess. Yeah, so this this was a beautiful example of, of an annual report, and I love the look of just the it's a it's designed right like obviously all annual reports are designed by somebody but this is like this is a designer's annual report like just with the elements and the typography and the iconography and the way that those all come together so this is a beautiful piece to to share and it's no no wonder why uh, communication arts picked it up oh thank you it's nice nice for you to say so thank you um, so from the first idea of what this was going to be to holding the finished copy in your hand, what is that time frame like? Uh, usually it should be, let's say, April, May. We kind of started in May, June, July, August, October. Usually it's four to four months, about three to four months. Um, this one took us six months just because of the pandemic and mm -hmm. there wasn't a rush. There wasn't kind of the urgency because there wasn't a meeting. Yeah. So changes. It actually wasn't even this format. The the idea we had that we really wanted to do was produce this as an oversized newspaper. 
So oh, yeah. it was really, really big on newsprint and it was folded and it came to you because we wanted it to be, um, we wanted it to be throw away, but you don't want to keep it just like the year 2020. People just wanted to get rid of it. So there was this whole big idea about it just being black and white on newsprint so you could read it and then chuck it in the bin, chuck it in the waste. Um, so then you could have done it like in a mask shape too, right? Because those are just all going <laughs> exactly. in the bin. Exactly. <laughs> you pop the mask out of the cover and you get a free mask with that <laughs> whilst you're reading it. But actually, the client just not to do that because he loves keeping them. And he said, no, I want something that I can put on my shelf. And I yes. pushed us. And I think he pushed us in the right way in the end to do something like this. And, it, mm -hmm. you know, that's where ideas can come from us or ideas can come from the client. We don't just go, no, you're wrong. We're doing it our way. It's like, actually, you've got a point. Yep, fair enough. Um, <laughs> let's, let's come back and give you another format for it. So we, yeah, they can only flex that a few times and then it doesn't work anymore. Yeah, there's always a point where I go, no, 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 there's too many changes now in the numbers. Why didn't you give these? Yeah. <laughs> we have a very interesting relationship, myself and Jack Deep. So he's very, he will be very, he can tell me to um, go away in not so many words when it gets to that point. And I just, I go silent and like, yeah, he knows what he's, okay. Okay, okay fine. <laughs> I, I try. <laughs> so with the, with the experience that you've, crafted with this piece because we talked a little bit about the pacing throughout the design inside and we talked a little bit about the envelope um, that was used to send this but that in itself kind of creates an experience for the people receiving this piece mm -hmm. um, because it was virtual so it really again adds that tactile meets virtual yes sort of um, you know symmetry I, I use that word too much I think but you know that experience um, how was this shipped? So you have the book inside this sort of custom printed envelope, but looking at that envelope, there isn't really a, you know, a spot for an address and things like that. So did it also go into another envelope to actually email? Story. The whole idea of this one is you stick a label, a white label on top of this envelope, doesn't matter where you put it. And that's got the return address on it and the address that you send it um, to as well. Um, that was the way it should have been sent. Jagdeep loved the envelope so much that he didn't want to put it in the mail so he hand delivered them all himself and those wow. that, and those that he didn't hand deliver he put into a clear plastic envelope first and then put the label on top of the clear plastic because he loved the envelope so much yes. we, we always imagined it would just be a white label that gets stuck on here and it looked kind of cool um there were also some i guess there were some issues with mailing this as well because the u.s postal nights they would do a postmark across the top or across the bottom, and there was no space for that either. So um, we didn't think about that. We just wanted to, you know, <laughs> practicalities. Um, but I think it was fine because actually we sent one to ourselves, so it worked. You know, we did oh, that, and we put we mocked one up and printed it out, made up the envelope, put, and then we did that ideally to work out what the weight of the paper needed to be on the envelope so it didn't get mm -hmm. smashed up in the mail but yeah. also just to make sure that there weren't any problems with with the post office mailing it and it was it was fine Definitely. always good to test yeah, definitely test and, and don't ignore the opportunities to create an experience exactly. not just a, a piece and Jack Deep, I think this year's one we're going to create a website as well but he doesn't want just to be a website he still wants there always to be a tactile annual report 
And yeah. I think he's like me. He loves the idea that these are artifacts that will be on the shelf at the University of California for many years or in their library. And it becomes a yeah. record of of his achievements, but also great, you know, it's great for us to see this kind of progress of design and how much we can push each year and push and push. It's just this tangible piece of history. Exactly. It's always harder though each year to come up with something better than we did last year. But um, so that that's always, a, that's a great to have as a designer that problem too, to come up mm -hmm. with something even more creative the following year. I love it. Then Rob, thank you so much for taking the time to to share this piece with us. It's just a beautiful piece. That's that's what it is. It's a beautiful annual report, um, and very cleverly designed. So congratulations to you and the team on this one. It's beautiful. Great, thanks, Dave. It's really nice of you to say, and thanks for having me on. No, it's been great. The last uh, question I want to ask you is: uh, Can you tell people where to find you? Where to find more about Mucho? Like, where can people um, learn more about you guys in this piece? Yeah, um, this piece is on our website actually. So if you go to we wearemucho.com, um, that website has everything that we produce across all of our offices. And awesome. you click on about, there's a little video that talks about how we work, and it also, you know, um, gives everyone's LinkedIn details too. So we're on Instagram and on Twitter, um, hashtag wearemucho and at wearemucho. So um, follow us or jump, jump on the website and dig around. Definitely check this stuff out. And I'm going to also put links to um, the things that we talked about in this episode in the podcast description so listeners can sort of quickly navigate and find it easily. And um, Rob, thank you so much for being my guest on the show today. Super. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. All right, that is the end of today's episode. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Thank you again for your support and your encouragement uh, throughout this podcast and right from the beginning. And um, yeah, let's keep it rolling. Another great episode coming at you next week. And if you have not had the opportunity to leave a rating or a review for the podcast, please head over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you're listening, and leave that rating and a review today. I would really, really appreciate it. And as always, there are photos of this print piece up over on our Instagram. That's printdesign underscore academy. Go check that out over there. Have a great week.